Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, so today we're going to carry on, as, as Gord said, we're going to carry on in the Jesus trip, and we're in the book of Ezekiel, uh, one of those really interesting books. There's a lot, a lot of really good stuff there, and uh, today we're, we are going to, we're going to talk about Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to talk about the valley of dry bones, and right off the bat, I'm going to put this out there. I've called this sermon the spirit of prophecy. We're going to get there as to why, but uh I'm just going to tell you this right now. There, there's probably a whole bunch of different interpretations. I'm not trying to mess with how you see this. But I want to present to you today, in keeping with the Jesus trip, how I see the spirit of prophecy, how I see the, the events of Ezekiel 37 testifying to Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're doing, right? If you're new to the church, if you if you just come, if you're visiting, uh, what we're doing right now is we're working our way from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, right through to Revelation. And we're doing it on purpose, trying to find Jesus. Because Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39, I think I say this all the time, but he says this is absolutely key to understand your Bible. He said those scriptures, he says to the Pharisees, you guys are looking in the Bible. You got your noses stuck in your Bible, but you're missing the point of the Bible. The whole point of these scriptures is that they testify to me. I'm the one that gives you life. Let the thing, let the message, let the words of the Bible lift you up out of them and into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because he's the one who gives life. So that's what we're doing. We're working our way through the Old Testament because when he talked about scriptures, that's what he was talking about. He was talking about the Hebrew Bible. So as we're working our way through from Genesis to Revelation, we've so far, we've spent, well, like eight, eight months in the Old Testament. I think we got another month to go. But there's been some really, really beautiful pictures of Jesus, powerful images of Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. In him really is life. So we're going we're gonna to look at that today. We're going to look at the Valley of Dry Bones and how that testifies to Jesus and how that will activate you in a life of pro- prophecy, in, in prophetic utterance. And what I mean by that is sometimes the Holy Spirit inside of us, he's given us a gift to speak inspired and anointed words that when you speak them and when you loose them can actually change and shape your world. Is it Hebrews 11 where it says that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God? Words, anointed, powerful words can shape and change a destiny. They can shape and change the circumstances around you. But those words, they're rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going we're gonna to get to today. Last week, in the book of Ezekiel, we were looking at uh, what Pastor Carl called the face of glory. Now, we saw that in this book, uh, the glory of God, it actually departed from the temple. Ezekiel had this prophetic experience where he saw the glory lift up off the temple. He saw the glory leave the holy city. And that would have been devastating for, for an Israeli or, or, you know, at that time. What's going on? Where's the glory? It's going. But then even in exile, Ezekiel has this amazing prophetic experience where he says on the 31st of July, the 30th year, while I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon, Ezekiel says, the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. Amazing, eh? The heavens opened and I saw visions of God. So he sees these creatures and they've got four faces. They've got a head, but they've got four faces on each side. One's got the face of a man, the other an eagle, a lion, and an ox. 
And he says, this is what the glory of God looked like to me. So he's had an experience with the glory of God. The glory's left the temple. It's left the holy city. But here's Ezekiel on the, by, the, by the Kabar River, and he has an experience in exile. And it's as if God was saying, hey, guess what? My glory, it might have left the temple, but it's not confined there. The glory of God's not confined to Jerusalem, even though you're far away, even though you're in exile, even though you're in an imprisonment, a hell, uh, an exile of your own making. My glory's still there. It's not confined to those places of perfection and religious institution like you might think. And he's trying to get Ezekiel to see, actually, there's something more. My glory's with you, where you are. It's not destined just to stay in that building. It's not destined just to stay. So that, that's hopeful, right? Any situation we find ourselves in, you can find the glory of God. God's there. <clears throat> he really is. So Ezekiel, he sees this glory, and the way he describes it, and what he sees is he sees that this glory, it comes to work in you, and it comes to, to manifest you, or manifest in you a glory that, that, that has excellence in it. it. It empowers you to serve. It empowers your heart to be relationally oriented, and it's a glory that's full of the power of God, and it's expressed through your union with him. And so Jesus Christ comes on the scene a couple hundred years later, and in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he perfectly reveals the glory of God, and you can see these elements in his life and in his ministry, the glory of God being expressed, and that's what the glory will do in you. It's not necessarily an abstract light show. The glory of God will come into you and produce something of the nature and the character of God, and that's what he sees in this vision. And there's a, there's a couple amazing verses later at the end of chapter 1 where, where it says Ezekiel, he sees these creatures, and then he looks up above them and he sees on the throne someone who has the resemblance or the appearance of a man. Isn't that amazing? Even in the book of Ezekiel, the glory of God can't be separated from humanity. There's, there's something that looks like a human on the throne. Jesus Christ the son of man, the prototypical man, the man. Paul describes him in Corinthians as the heavenly man. Humanity was destined for the glory and the throne of God long before any of this stuff down here started happening. It's amazing. It's an amazing picture. So Ezekiel sees this, and he sees the glory leave the temple. He sees it leave the holy city. God's communicating to him, hey, my glory's for you. Actually, <clears throat> I've got something so much even better for you. <clears throat> Sorry. He's like, I got something better for you. The glory is going to be intimately bound up in humanity. It's going to be in you. It's not just going to be in the building that you go. See, the amazing thing today, who felt the glory of God today? That's pretty significant. And guess what? That glory is in you. That, that's a product of us coming together and Christ in you, the hope of glory, the corporate anointing coming up, welling up inside of you and out of you. And when we come together, it's like that stream just gets bigger. The glory is destined for us. But back in Ezekiel's day, uh, as, as we've seen, as we've worked through the Bible, there's always these utterances of God. He's speaking to his people and he's saying, I've got a bright, big future for you, but you got a problem. And in Ezekiel's day, the people had a problem. The glory of God and the people were incompatible. There was a problem. I mean, you, you, if, you're, if you're doing your Jesus trip readings, you're going to see chapter after chapter, verse after verse, these people are wicked. These people, they're, they're corrupted. Here's the judgment that these people deserve. And, and on and on and on. It's actually cram-packed full of that, that Old Testament stuff. It's, it's in there everywhere. And, and the problem is, is that the glory and humanity were incompatible to such an extent that it wasn't just that human beings were doing bad things. It's that there was something corrupted about humanity. It's like our, our materiality, our mentality, our personality, it, all of it was just hostile to God. 
So there, there's something different. The way Ezekiel says it is he says, Ezekiel 23, verse 8, he says, when she left Egypt, she did not leave her spirit of prostitution behind. In other words, that's, that's a fancy way of saying, you did some bad things. I can take you out of a land of sin and bondage, but there might still be sin and bondage in you. That's, that's an amazing way to say, guess what? You know what? You can change your outward circumstances, but how God moves you and how God changes you is he changes what's on the inside of you. So here he's saying through Ezekiel, you left Egypt. I pulled you out of that land of bondage, but bondage was still inside of you. And God's like, you know what? That's causing you some trouble. You're experiencing some difficulty in your life right now because there's something inside of you that's incompatible with me. And you know what God says? Instead of I'm going to just throw you out, he says, basically, no problem. I got it. I'm going to clean you up. He said, You're, you might be defiled, but I can fix it. So Ezekiel chapter 36, he starts to speak to Ezekiel and he says, uh, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you and I'm going to make you clean. Your filth will be washed away. You're no longer going to worship idols. It's like God said, no more of this, you trying to purify yourself. No more of this, you trying to clean yourself up in vain. I'm going to make you clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And when God says he's going to sprinkle clean water on you, it's not like he's saying, you know what, I'm just going to take that little dirt stain off the outside. No, when God cleans you, it's an inside job too. It's inside and out, right? The blood of Jesus cleanses us, purges us from our sins. And, and that's not like, the blood of Jesus isn't like a red paint job. Forgive me for being so crude. It's not a red paint job on you where the blood of Jesus comes on you and then underneath there's still something vile that God is somehow tricked into looking at the blood and forgetting about what's underneath it. No, see, Jesus, what he did on the cross, he took the sins of the world in his own body. He took our sins, past, present, future, all of them. See, every time you ask God for forgiveness, he's not jumping down out of heaven and dying on a cross again. He did it once and for all. He did it for me. He did it for everybody else out there, past, present, and future. Jesus took it all. Now, he took his sin. He took our sin in his body. He shed his blood. And what his blood did was it completely annihilated sin. Jesus Christ is our covering, but when he covered our sins, he destroyed them. It's like the blood had some sort of destructive, life-empowered enzyme in it that just absolutely obliterated sin from the inside out. So when God says, I'm going to clean you, he's not saying, I'm going to clean the outside of your car, but the inside is still full of dog hair. He's not saying that. No, he's saying, this is the kind of cleaning. This is the kind of cleansing that God does. Titus 3, verse 4 and 5, it says, according to his mercy, he saved us. How did he save us? By painting over our sins? No. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He made us new. He made us new on the inside, from the inside out, utterly cleansed, completely free. So we can say this in Ezekiel 26 and verse 26. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. You've been made new completely and entirely through the washing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. This, if you believe this, this is literally the axe to the root of the tree of all types and forms of religion and Christianity that tries to get you to clean your act up. Self-improvement and those kind of things. This is literally the devastation of all of that. If we believe this, you let it reorientate your relationship to God from, from one of constant conversations and sin consciousness and constant conversations about the development of your heart to a thankful, thank you, Jesus, for giving me a new heart. Let's go manifest this thing today. 
to a, to a life of worship, to a life of friendship where we're not bogged down all the time with a sin consciousness because we know he's made me clean. He's cleaned me from the inside out. When you come to Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. All things have become new, and now all things are of God. When you come to Jesus inside and out, see, sometimes we, we, we don't have a, a problem necessarily believing that when I've been born again, my spirit has been made new. I've, I possess the righteousness of God in this, in this internal realm called my spirit that sometimes I find really hard to access, and sometimes if I'm lucky, it'll pop out and manifest some of that righteousness that I have. Sometimes there's this, there's this teaching that says, you know, you embrace, uh, your spirit is made perfect, but you got to spend a lifetime trying to get your heart, trying to get your soul, trying to get your body to match what God's already done in your spirit. Ezekiel, under the old covenant, understood a new. No, God's giving you a new heart. He's giving you a new heart. He's put a new soul inside of you. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, he says, now it reads like this. It reads, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May actually is not in the Greek. And I'm very certain that the word sanctify is in the aortist tense. The only way to actually understand whether it should be sanctified, sanctifies, will sanctify, is to understand the context. So let's look at the context. May your whole spirit, soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your heart, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. That's not a verse praying, asking God to sanctify me. That's a statement saying that my God has sanctified me and he will preserve me blameless. He will keep me in the blameless state. He has the power to do that. Now, the content that passes through your mind sometimes might not be righteous. The thing that you do with your body sometimes may not be righteous, but your mind, who you actually are, you as a person have been cleaned inside and out, sanctified, Work on the content. Work on the, you know, the bad stuff that floats through there. But understand, that's not you. That's not you. You're holy. You're sanctified. You're clean. Now, I think that chapter 37 follows chapter 36 for a reason. I think this stuff is actually vitally important when we want to talk about the valley of dry bones and prophecy. So just uh, really, just hang on just for another minute or two and we'll get there. But this is, this is really, really, really important. God says to Ezekiel, before he takes him into the, the valley of dry bones, he tells him, he says, I'm going to clean you. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to put a new heart inside of you. And you know what? On top of all of that, verse 27, he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees. Not only am I going to clean you, not only am I going to give you a new heart, not only am I going to give you a new spirit, a new alive, regenerated spirit, but I'm actually going to put my spirit inside of you. My spirit. That's amazing. I, I don't think Ezekiel can, can really grasp what, what, what's being said to him here. Remember, he's living under an Old Testament mindset. He's got no grid for this kind of stuff. And I think he's kind of like just completely blown away. Like, Wow. Like the glory of God. He saw the glory of God. He said, this is what the glory looked like to me. He's talking to us about these amazing heavenly experiences that he's had. And now, and now he's, he's seeing how the glory of all that is actually going to be in a person. It's not going to be something that you see with your eyes externally. It's going to come and reside inside of you. Wow. I think he's kind of like, wow, how? 
That's why I think it says the Spirit of God took hold of him, took him into the valley of dry bones. And I think it's kind of like, this is my paraphrase. This is what I think is going on behind the scenes. I think God's kind of like, hey, I know you're troubled. I know you might not understand how this looks. You might not see how I'm going to give you a new heart. You might not see how I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. That might be troubling you. Let me show you what it looks like. Let me show you. So he takes him into the valley of dry bones, and he sees all these bones just dead and spread out all over the place, disconnected, disjointed, no life. And and, and I think God's like, hey, look at all this. I'm going to show you what I just told you. Do you think these bones can live? Now, has God ever asked anybody a question? Have you ever had God ask you a question? I don't think it's because he doesn't know the answer. Right? So I don't think he's trying to get Ezekiel to inform him. I think he's trying to ask a question that's going to provoke some faith in him. And I think Ezekiel's kind of like, well, you know. You alone know. I think that's code for you know you can do it. So Ezekiel's like, well, God, you know. And then the Lord says this. He says, uh, Ezekiel, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say this. Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you. And I'm going to make you live again. I'll put flesh and muscles on you. I'll cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That's, that's interesting. I'm just going to leave it at what the Bible says, because it's interesting that he says, I'm going to give you life. And after I give you life, then you'll know who I am. It's just interesting to wrestle with that. So I spoke this message. He said, just as he told me, suddenly I spoke and there was a rattling noise across all the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Now in the Hebrew, if you know the word breath, it's interchangeable with spirit, wind. He's saying the body came together, but there's no spirit in them. There's no ruach. There's no spirit. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath. Come, O spirit, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. Put your finger and come from the four winds. Remember that for a couple minutes down the road. So I spoke this message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life, and they stood up like an army on their feet. Ezekiel prophesies of a coming wind that would regenerate a valley full of dry bones, putting dead things back together, giving them life, even turning them into a great army. But I want to propose to you today, as I read this, what I see is that to really understand this passage and to fit it in the context of the Jesus trip, because we're trying to find Jesus. We, we don't just want to have prophetic experiences. We don't want to just run around and prophesy uh, anything, right? Like, like you, you, you can make stuff up. The human spirit is, is full of imagination and God-given creativity. What we want to do is we want to speak out of the abundance of what God has put in our hearts. The spirit of Jesus Christ inside of us. So we want to, we want to make sure that we're rooted and grounded in the finished work of Jesus. So if I go back to the Jesus trip... I have, to, I have to admit, I have to acknowledge, these scriptures, as awesome and amazing as they are, they find their fulfillment in Jesus. They really do. Now, we don't have a hard time understanding that the law was fulfilled by Jesus. Like, none of us here, I hope, is running around trying to sacrifice goats and bulls and sheep and all that stuff. If you are, stay away from my farm. <laughs> 
We understand that Jesus' sacrifice put that stuff to death, right? We understand that. But do you know that he also said he came to fulfill the prophets? Matthew 5, verse 17. Don't think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not. I didn't come to destroy, but I came to fulfill. Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophetic scriptures. There might be some stuff in there that you can still see that maybe hasn't happened yet. But I'm telling you, as and when they do happen, they will happen as an unfolding revelation and expression of the person of Jesus Christ, not divorced from him, not separated from him. So Gord actually read a little bit farther along in those verses, and those verses actually say, if you want to be a biblical literalist, these verses aren't necessarily talking about you prophesying over your dead bone situation. He's saying these bones are the, the people of Israel. That might sound harsh, but it's not, it's not actually talking about us. That, that's not those dry and dead bones. We might have dry and dead bone situations, but that, that scripture, I don't believe, speaks to our lives. It's not about us. It's about Jesus finds its fulfillment in Jesus. I got some serious funny looks right now. We're going to get there. We're still here. <laughs> All right. So it might sound harsh, like I said, to say that that doesn't speak to you. That doesn't speak about you. Let me propose this. There was a time when the wind did come. There was a time when the wind came. It came at Pentecost. There was the rushing sound of a mighty wind. It filled the house where they're all sitting. Everybody sitting there got filled with the Holy Spirit. They started speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was a wind that came. There was a wind that came at Pentecost. Now hear me. What I'm not saying is that there's nothing in that Ezekiel chapter that you can't take encouragement and hope from. What I'm not saying is this doesn't, that this discourages you from prophesying and releasing life and hope into situations. We have to do that. We really do. We're supposed to do that. God's gifted us to do that. We have to do it. Do you know what? There's so much in life that's actually voice activated. I mean, God said, let there be. And we recreated in his image and in his likeness. We're going to be a people who say, let there be. And guess what? There will be. Didn't Jesus say things like, whoever believes in me, you're going to speak to this mountain and it's going to be plucked up and cast into the sea? You can do that with your voice? Isn't that amazing? There's so much in life that's voice activated. We have to do this. So I'm not saying that this doesn't discourage you from doing that. That is an absolutely vital part in our lives. And I would strongly encourage you, frame your world by the word of God in your heart and on your mouth. God created by framing, he framed the world through his words. We can do the same. If that's not a practice of yours, consider it. Consider speaking to your life in the name of Jesus. Consider, consider it. Now, there was a mighty wind that came. This was fulfilled in Jesus. And what I want to say today is that if you, too, have a dry and a hopeless situation, you might look around your life, you might see some situations where it's like, man, that's really dry bone stuff. You know, I, I, I know some people in, in those kind of health situations. It's going to take a God miracle. Personally, uh, I'm kind of provoked by what I see in, on the streets, you know? It's, uh, there's people out there who are in desperate need and are pretty whacked out on some pretty unpleasant chemicals that need help. They need something from God. There, there, there's, there's segments and portions of society that need a move of the Holy Spirit. 
They really do. And you know what? Ezekiel, passages like this, they give me great encouragement and they give me great hope because it causes me to see that there's no situation that can't be resurrected and can't have life. Jesus Christ can resurrect any dead situation and any hopeless thing. That is a hope I need to hold on to. There's nothing out there that should cause me to shrink down in fear. I should be able to rise up into any confrontation with anything evil out there, and I should know greater is he who's in me. I should be able to know that the resurrected, victorious, ascended Jesus is Lord over all of that, even that stuff, and I can speak to that situation in his name. So this, these verses, they give me hope. They give me hope. God wants to partner with me in such a way that my words uh, affect things and change them, which is amazing. But I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't look at this, these verses. I don't look at the story of the Valley of Dry Bones and say, man, that's a template for me in my life. I want to prophesy just like Ezekiel did. I don't. Straight up. Old covenant prophet, old covenant paradigm. This is what God will do. That's not what I want to do. I'm going to prophesy all right, but it's not going to be like Ezekiel. See, when I, when I see that, when I read this passage as something that's already been fulfilled in Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the constituting of a new creation in Christ Jesus, when I see this story in, those, in that light, I'm not trying to recreate the timeline. I'm not trying to recreate the situation, the scenario, and I'm not trying to copy somebody's old covenant ministry. See, I will prophesy. I will. We can all prophesy. God wants that of all of us. He wants a community of people who can prophesy, who can speak words. But I tell you what, there's a new paradigm for prophecy. And one of the major things of that new paradigm is you've been made a new creation. You are now empowered to do this. And when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit, because I'm not in the same covenant that Ezekiel was, because I'm living in a different day, if I want to prophesy, if I want to experience the wind of heaven, the fire of God you know, going through me and being loosed and released through me, I realize now in the new covenant, as somebody who has been on the other side of the cross, somebody who has received a clean heart, somebody who's received a new spirit, on this side, I don't have to qualify myself to begin to prophesy. I don't have to go through some sort of process where my, my ligaments and my bones come together and figuratively I go through some sort of act of, 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 of maturity and progressive development into the realm of now being able to prophesy. That's not true. Jesus Christ qualified me to receive the fullness of his Holy Spirit. I don't have to fast. I don't have to pray. I don't have to tarry. I don't have to wait in Jerusalem or whatever other euphemism is used. I don't have to do that. Jesus Christ qualified me already to engage in an experience of prophecy and, and Holy Spirit activity in my life. See, Jesus, as a re representative of new creation humanity, he died on the cross. He was raised up. He ascended into heaven. He filled the highest parts of heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit on behalf of all of humanity. Jesus Christ qualified for the Holy Spirit in a way that we never could. Jesus Christ has qualified me to be a recipient of his Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 23, uh, and, and 20, yeah, 22 and 23. This Jesus, it says, God is raised up, of which we're all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, received the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he poured out that which you now see in here. So Jesus received the promise. Jesus qualified me. And you know what? When God the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he doesn't come in degrees. He doesn't come a little bit here and a little bit there. 
He doesn't come into your life and say, okay, now you got a tenth of me. Now if you kind of clean up your act and progress a little bit more, I'm going to give you a little bit more. And then if you get a little bit more holy, a little bit more mature, now you're going to start to be able to prophesy. Now things are going to start to be able to work. No, when you get the Holy Spirit, you get the whole thing. You get the whole of him. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. Not, not a miniature Holy Spirit. Not a baby Holy Spirit. Not an immature Holy Spirit. You got the, you got the whole person. The third person of the Godhead literally lives inside of you. He doesn't chop himself up into little bits. He gives it all to us. So Jesus, he baptizes us in his Holy Spirit. There's experiences you can have with the Holy Spirit. That's not a, I hope he might come and touch me. No, it's God, the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. And Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. And I like to think of it, you, you can see it differently if you like, but I like to think of it as Jesus coming along and uncorking the bottle from the inside out. From the inside out, my senses, my body, my emotions, my mind, my will, everything that I am from the inside out just gets immersed and pickled in the person of the Holy Spirit who already resides on the inside of me. So Jesus, when he was describing the activity of the Holy Spirit and what his water-like baptism was going to be in our lives, where he, he, he pickles, he, he fills your senses, he fills your person with his Holy Spirit. Jesus described it in John chapter 7. He said, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, out of the innermost part of who he is is going to flow rivers of living water. And he spoke this concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given when Jesus said these things, because Jesus has not yet been glorified. But guess what? He has now. Jesus Christ has been glorified. And that's why the Spirit of God doesn't move in our lives in progressive degrees as we grow and mature. You are mature. You're developed. Who you are is one with Christ. Now that can come into a greater and greater expression, but you are one with Jesus. The full Holy Spirit right now resides inside of you. You are one spirit with Christ. You can grow in your understanding of that. You can grow in the expression of that out of your life, but it's really, really, really important to see you are clean. You are whole. You have been made new, and the fullness of God lives in you. When you get the Holy Spirit, you get Father, Son, too. It's amazing stuff, but this, is, this has always been a problem for Christians, as, as far back as Paul and his relationship with the Galatians even. So he's talking to the Galatians, and he says, you know what, you foolish people, who put a curse on you? Who tricked you? Who bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly crucified. And he says, I just want to learn this from you. Just tell me this one thing. Did you get the Holy Spirit by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith? Rhetorical question. And then he goes on, he asks the same question again. He says, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? God gives his Spirit by the hearing of faith. We're qualified to receive Holy Spirit now. Not like Ezekiel, I'm not prophesying something that's going to come. And you know what else? I'm not speaking to the four winds. I'm not asking God to come from over there and come get me. He's in here. I'm not saying, hey, God, come. He's here. He's already there. So here's the thing. You don't need somebody to prophesy over you and tell you how God's engaged in some sort of process of cleaning up the inside of who you are. If that's a word over your life, I'd strongly encourage you to reject it and to embrace the word of Ezekiel that says, I'll give you a new heart. 
You don't need to prophesy that stuff. Do you know what you do need? You need a word that comes and speaks to you and says you are whole. You are complete in Christ. You need a word that connects you to the finished work of the cross. Right? If God's, if God's gone to the trouble to recreate us in Christ, make us new, we should embrace that. Right? We, we should let that be the content of our prophecy. Let that be the content of the words that we speak over other people. So we're qualified. We're qualified. We are possessors of the Spirit of God. We're possessors of a clean nature. The prophetic realm in this, in this sense, on the other side of the cross, it's not about cleaning up and qualifying. It's not about uh, making you something that you aren't already are. Because you are. <laughs> now, here's the other thing. If you see the Valley of the Dry Bones as an experience pointing to Jesus and the pouring out of his spirit at Pentecost, when I do prophesy, like I said, I'm not shouting to the four winds trying to get God to come from somewhere that he already isn't. I'm not calling God down, I'm not conjuring him up, and I'm not a victim of his hesitance or reluctance. That wind, it's inside. That wind is already there. I'm not coming to ask God to do stuff that he's not already done. See, the prophetic proclamation from a perspective of the finished work of the cross, the wind doesn't come from those four corners, it resides in me, and my union with Jesus is so complete. It's so complete that when I speak a faith-inspired, rhema, anointed word, when I speak that word, the breath that launches, the breath that propels that word is the breath of God. The breath of God that Adam lost through sin, but Jesus Christ restored to me in power at Pentecost. When I speak a word, the breath, the pneuma, the ruach, the spirit of God is the one who animates what I say. And if I believe it, it'll be so. Not because I believe it, because it's so. That's a lot better than, hey, wind, please come and do something. Come and put this body together. That's a prophetic declaration that says, body in Jesus' name, rise up. That's a different ballgame. That's something different. That's, that's an old covenant, new covenant paradigm shift. That's God, please come and do something to God. I have done something, and now I've put that power inside of you. You do something. Remember Moses? God takes him to the Red Sea, and uh, Moses starts praying, and God says, stop praying. Stop it. He actually gets rebuked for praying. And he says, hey, you take that staff. You go, you go separate the waters. You take the people through. Because there comes a point in time where we realize what God's done to us. He's made us clean. We're not engaged in a relationship with God about getting cleaned up anymore. We're past that because we've seen that he's given me a clean heart and he's given me a new spirit. I'm not engaged in this process of lifelong sanctification. I manifest holiness because I recognize that he lives inside of me. And there comes a point in time where I'm not asking God anymore and saying, God, please come and do something. Come, come be powerful in my life. God's saying, hey, I was, I am, but I've made you powerful. I've given you a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. You demonstrate it. You step up. You go do it. You have been empowered. That's looking at a situation like, say, say some of the, the, the destitution in the city. And instead of saying something like, hey, hey, hey London, God's going to come and save you. It's a prophetic declaration that goes something more like, hey, your Savior's come. God, a move of God is coming. It's going to revive you. It's going to provide for your healing. No, there's a prophetic declaration that says there's a risen Savior. You are healed. You are free. You are forgiven. God is not holding your sins against you. Be reconciled to God. There's a prophetic declaration that has in it and is pregnant with the power of what Jesus Christ has already done. 
If you're here, if you're sick, I mean, if, if there's something going on in your world, you don't need a word to come and prophesy over when God's going to heal you. You need the, t- the testimony of Jesus released over your life that says Jesus Christ is the healer. By his stripes you were healed. Rise up and walk. By his stripes you were healed. Be well in Jesus' name. There's a prophetic declaration. I'm calling those things that seem like they're not. I'm calling those things that seem like they're not as though they're not. I'm calling them into manifestation because you know what? They do exist already in the person of Jesus Christ. God isn't going to jump out of heaven, die again for me, take scars in his body again so I can be healed. That already happened. He did that one time. Now my prophetic declaration is I identify with who he is. I identify with what he did. And I call that forth in my body. I call that forth in someone else's body. Be restored. Be well. In Jesus' name. If you got some sort of, you know, personal problem, a besetting sin, something like that. You don't need somebody to come along in your life and prophesy to you the process that God's going to take you through in order to get better. You need the word of the Lord that comes to you that sees you as the whole person that you are in Christ Jesus, speaks to that, and the spirit of God on those anointed words touches something deep inside of you. You resonate internally. Wow, I am a child of God. You stand up, you rise up, you cast off all those things that are lying to you and telling you something different, and there's a prophetic word that causes you to rise into your already God-given destiny. You don't need a word spoken over you that says this is the process that God's going to take you through. You need a word that connects to the process Jesus went through. Now he wants to impart his life and his spirit to you. Totally different paradigm than what Ezekiel had. Totally different. So you, in your life, me, we might have dry bones, dead situations. We got to speak to them. We really do. But what we got to speak is the testimony of Jesus. What we got to speak is the finished work of the cross. What we got to do is call forth new covenant realities. New Testament, new creation realities. We got to call that stuff forth. We got to let our words align with the work of the cross, with the resurrected Jesus, not of a coming Jesus, not of a God who's going to come up down the road, show up and show off. No, he already did. And now he wants to show off through us. So we need to speak, but we need to impart grace to our hearers. Be big, be bold, be brave in prophesying. But don't let your prophetic declaration be something in the future. We're obsessed with the future. We're obsessed with people who can predict the future and the prophetic, which is great. But guess what? Every believer can do that. Jesus, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, Holy Spirit's going to come. He's the helper. One of the things he's going to do to every believer, he's going to show you things to come. No big deal. That's the inheritance of a believer, not of a special person. There's a totally different uh, realm of qualification. There's a totally different uh, gravity to the prophetic word in the new covenant. It has to do with the substance of the heart of Jesus Christ being imparted through word. So don't, invite, don't embrace prophecy and, and certainly don't lose prophecy that puts people's expectations for a future move of God. Connect them to who he is right now. Connect them to his now present thought. Connect them to who he is right now and what he's already done. See, I, I love prophetic things. I, I, I love that stuff. I think that if we ask for weird and strange experiences like Ezekiel had, God will give them to us. I think sometimes we don't have them. If, if you're inclined to be that way, if you like that kind of thing, I think we don't have them because we don't ask. So ask. He gives us all things, you know, for our enjoyment. Even those, those strange things that just seem so disconnected from anything, but they encourage your heart, go for it. 
Ask God. I want to see those four-faced creatures. Those are funny looking. I want to see that. I don't think, I think he's totally on board with all that. He really is. But I'll tell you what. The, the angelic realm, the, 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 the living creatures, the elders, all those guys. They're obsessed with Jesus. He, he's there. He's, he's what's got their attention. We want to, excuse, it might be a little uh, uh, blunt, but uh, cosmic carpet rides and all sorts of these amazing things in the spirit. We want that. I want that. I think that stuff's really, really fun. But guess what? That whole realm is ordered around the person of Jesus. He's the lamb. There's a new song in heaven, and it's all about the lamb. It's actually pretty humbling stuff. There, there's a whole created order out there that isn't confused about who the Lord is and what it's all about. All of creation awaits the prophetic announcement of the person of Jesus Christ. In the New Covenant, on this side of the cross, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's not to say don't be predictive. That's not to say don't be encouraging and edifying. That's what prophecy is. But it's rooted in the person and his finished work. And when it's spoken over you in the anointed power of the Holy Ghost, what happens is the, the new creation that you are, that Ezekiel prophesied was coming, but has already come in Christ. Something inside of you resonates with that word, and you're like, wow. You feel empowered. You feel alive. You feel like you've woken up to the reality of who you finally are, who you really are, and you can finally cast off all those lies about you. You can cast off all those things to say, I'm disqualified. I'm dirty. I need to go through a, a six-step process before I can do this stuff. You can cast all that stuff off when you hear a prophetic word. So prophetically, the valley of dry bones, you got some dry bone situations, speak over them. Speak. We have to speak. But speak and prophesy new creation, new covenant realities. We don't want to be like Ezekiel. We, we don't need to be like Ezekiel. He wanted to be like us. In fact, if you read 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about prophets who longed to understand the grace that God spoke through them was going to come. Things that even angels desire to look into. And we've got that living reality inside of us. So here's some things. We'll, we'll finish with this. Here's a couple of new creation, new covenant realities that can saturate and permeate your prophetic declarations over your life, over your world. You can start to frame your world through the words that God puts in your heart to speak. Let it be settled in your heart now and forever that sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. The sins of every single human being in the city of London are forgiven already. God is not holding people's sins against them. If there's a prophetic word that says, hey, I'm mad at you. I'm upset with your sin. Your sin has separated me from God or you from me. No, not at all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. Do you know what, that, do you know what people need to hear? They need to hear the prophetic word that says, you can rise up. I see you complete in Christ. I see the dreams and the desires that God's placed in your heart, and I can call that forth because I know your sin's not a barrier to your relationship with God. So rise up forgiven. Bodies were healed by his stripes. There's a prophetic declaration. By the stripes of Jesus, all of us are healed. Happened a long time ago. I'm calling it into manifestation. Be healed in Jesus' name. The devil's defeated and disarmed. Love the, love the prophetic stuff. But you know what? The devil's not defeated by your encounters in the second heaven fighting him with swords and fiery torches. 
Do you know where the devil was defeated? At the cross. Do you know what your job is to do if you're going to float through the second heaven? It's to uh, announce the victory that he already did. It's to introduce into that whole realm the reality of Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He is Lord. Not you. Be down in Jesus' name. God is with man. I'm not accepting prophecies, and I'm not loosing prophecies that talk about a day when God's going to be with us. Emmanuel is a reality already. The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, Jesus said, it's within. There, there's prophetic things out there dedicated to, to understanding the times and the seasons. Jesus said the kingdom's not going to come with signs that can be observed. It's not coming with outward observation. In fact, the kingdom of God is within you. It's come. Now, there's crazy releases of that kingdom in our lives, things that we understand, things that we don't understand, but the kingdom of God is within you. You're a new creation. You've got a new heart. Prophesy it. Don't try to get it. God has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Our prophetic utterances are in line and in keeping with the person of who he is. The mystery kept hidden, once hidden. We didn't know God at one time. The mystery kept hidden from ages past has now been revealed. And the Apostle Paul said that he's been revealed, and it's the apostles and prophets who are unpacking that revelation. There is a, a revelation of God in its finality in Jesus Christ. Qualification for every blessing and inheritance isn't secured through our prophetic escapades. They're secured by the finished work of the cross and my inclusion in Jesus Christ. I engage in a prophetic ministry that calls into manifestation blessing. One of those blessings, as Gore says, he became poor so that I might become rich. I'm calling forth those things. I get to do that. That's my right as a child of God because my inheritance isn't secured by how well I do that. It's not secured by what I do in the realm of the prophetic. It's secured at the cross. Therefore, my prophetic ministry is come forth. Come. Reconciliation with God, it's already happened. There is a great army. It started advancing across history in about the year 33 AD when Jesus ascended and poured out his spirit at Pentecost. There's a unity already secured in the body of Jesus Christ. We've all been given one spirit to drink. You know what we need to do? Instead of trying to create that thing, prophesying it, what we need to do is prophesy we are one. We are well, we're one with our brothers and sisters who do church slightly different down the road. We're one with them because we've all been given one spirit to drink. We can call forth that reality. So prophecy, prophesy. Speak to your world. Frame your world. But do it out of new covenant, new creation realities. God wants to be loosed through your tongue. God wants to be loosed in the world through the things that you say but it's deeply and firmly rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. Everybody, all of creation is waiting for the revealing of Jesus through his people. We can do it. We're qualified. We're empowered. We've already been gifted with the Spirit of God, so let's speak those anointed words and see things change. Amen?